it is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Grants, who also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Um, I feel like we're, we're we're starting year three of the show here, Drancer. You'd think I'd be able to do the intro in my sleep at this point. No, I wouldn't. I think I'm getting worse at it. No, you know what? <laughs> Every now and then, right? Because our show, like, what's funny funny about our show is our show's the movable feast of Sportsnet 650 yes. programming, right? Yes. Like, I am on the road. I'm in California for a month. Yeah. You know, like, you're out sick because you have two kids uh-huh. and are always sick. <laughs> Which isn't on you, by the way. I'm not. That's true. I'm not criticizing your immune li- system. Living that kindergarten life, baby. Yeah. It's not It's not like the fact that you have lower back pain, which I do criticize <laughs> you about. It's, um... <laughs> This has never happened. I want to just assure our listeners. Um, I don't view lower back pain as a moral failing. Uh, anyway, the... <laughs> no, but we're the movable feast. And yeah. and we always kind of figure it out. And let me just tell you, when you are away, yeah. once I'm done sobbing yes, yes. and ruining your lower back pain, <laughs> I also struggle with the reads. Dumbbar lumber. Yeah. Is my nemesis. I have like. Uh, sorry, they're actually a beloved uh, sponsor. I want clients. to be very clear. Yeah, yeah. And if you need wood, like where would you? Where else would you get it? Where else would you go? <laughs> no, Dunbar Lumber. But saying it, I, I really struggle. Like it's always, it's like a, it's like having a. Ten, yeah, I feel like a tough. dog. It's I have like a, a ball in my mouth. It's like ah, uh, Dunbar Lumber. I'm just so bad at it. It's Anyways, on me. It's not on them. I have like a moment. Uh, I would say like almost always when I'm doing the intro, I have like a moment of panic is like, of like, what am I supposed to say next? I'm Jamie Dodd. He's Thomas Trance. You'd think it would be second nature. Well, by okay. Now, but it's saying, not. saying your own name. <laughs> hey, by the way, by the way, I was at the grocery store uh-huh. and I was six feet away from a guy and he was Dan Riccio, dastardly Dan's dead ringer to the point where I said, hi, Dan. Ah! Now, I'm pretty good with faces. Like, this has almost never happened to me in my life. Uh-huh. Not from the front. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And he was just like, I'm Tony. <laughs> Sorry, bud. And he, like, well, he, was, like he was, like, polite about it. I, I was honestly just like, <gasps> Riccio doppelgangers are, like, a, a known phenomenon. Are they? They're out there. Okay. I don't know what it is about the way he looks, but there is, uh, like, this is not the first time it's come up. Yeah. I've seen pictures that people have snapped, like, on vacation places, and it's, like, a dead ringer for Riccio. This has never Riccio. happened to me before. I was just, like, honestly, I was... <gasps> Uh, by the way, Shocked. you were saying how we're like the movable, uh, the movable feast here, and I, I did foolishly get my hopes up that because the Jays are starting the playoffs here in a couple hours, that we would have a shortened show today. Oh yeah, yeah. Bear no. was like, no, 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 you're just, you're just going on early. I was like, <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Anyways, well, enough preamble. Can we talk? Oh, oh, sorry. Do you have more reads to no, do? No. Do you have more no, bills to pay? I'm done. Okay, because go nuts. I think we should talk about the Jays. Okay, sure. Let's do it. So. I grew up here, and there are, you know, my, my parents met in Toronto, right? Uh, I've got lots of family out east. I spent some time there. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know about yes, that, but yes. lots of people bring it up. Uh-huh. 
that's more of a moral failing in the Vancouver market than having lower, lower back, back pain, pain which yes, is for sure. something everyone should revisit. So I grew up a pretty big Jays fan. Like I was in the building for the longest home run hit at Skydome for like a long, long time mm-hmm. before Carlos Delgado hit mm-hmm. it, which was Mark McGuire playing okay. for the Oakland A's yeah. with my uncle. I, uh, I have like, you know, deep connections to, to the Blue Jays over the years. And I've been a huge fan, like go down to Seattle for, yep. for the series every year. Um, I had season tickets for a, for a long time. I used to have the Toronto Star Day Pass. Do you know about this? Yes. It was unbelievable. We yep. paid 100 bucks a day, and you could go to any game that wasn't sold out, which was pretty much every game except Canada Day. So I'm a pretty significant Jays fan, and this year I just couldn't stand the team. I, I, like, I couldn't. Yeah, you and everyone else. Yeah, but I think I was out faster. Mm. And then because I'm a pretty big Jays fan, I'd like get hooked back in, and I'd be like, no, they just don't have it. So many things, like, if you told me in early April of 2023 that Bo Bichette would be, like, on and off injured yep. and his plate discipline would remain problematic. Yes, he, his plate discipline would remain Bo Bichette. That, <laughs> plate discipline. That, that Vlad Guerrero would be completely unable to hit for power until he altered his swing a little bit for about a period of three months. That Alec Manoa... Would go Ricky Romero in the first two months of the season and then divorce himself from the team entirely. Mm-hmm. And that overall, the Jays' bats would be sub-average. I, I would have, first of all, said you're a hater. I, I would have, first of all, strongly suspected you were a Mariners fan. And then I would have said, well, that, that team's going to win 45 games. And instead, <laughs> they won... Instead, they're in the playoffs today. Yeah, they won 80, now, 89. They're, they're the third wild card. Yeah, and like what, a plus 80 run yeah. differential? Yeah, I mean, they. this was like the definition of backing in. Totally. They could not, they could not have backed in more to the playoffs. Yeah. But they still made it. Like those annoying people in parking lots who decide <laughs> to back in because they want to pretend that they're getting in yes. a rocket ship when they leave their parking spot. I hate those people. Don't be that person. Yeah, that was the Jays this year. Yeah. Yeah. And it got me thinking... A little bit because, and I'm not just doing synergy, by the way, for, for Roger Sportsnet, although we will have the Jays game, right? On the airwaves? Oh, yeah. At, at oh, 1.30? Yeah, 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 1.30. But it got me thinking that the Jays are the definition of a team where the baseline level of talent was so high that almost everything could go wrong mm. and they could still make the playoffs, which is kind of the antithesis of what we're talking well, about when we talk about, or certainly what Jim Rutherford's talking yeah, I was about. I just going to say, it's the opposite of what Jim Rutherford, how Jim Rutherford diagnosed the Canucks. Right. Right? Where, and, which is everything needs to go right. Right. And as so, you know, it got me sort of rethinking because I had this moment where I was like, man, you know, the fact that the Jays seem to have no dog in them and now have exceeded my expectations and made the playoffs and I'm feeling conflicted about whether or not I can like full with like full gusto support this team that I've left for 10, 12 times on the side of the road over the course of the season. Like it got me thinking like, Hey, you know, maybe the Canucks could prove me wrong. Not that I've made a prediction about this season yet, but just like in general, I've had a fade about this team build Mm -hmm. and this roster's construction, you know, and then, and then I sort of realized that there's a real difference. There's a real distinction between, between being a team that has, a ceiling where if things had gone right for the Jays, maybe they win the division. Yeah. Right. Or maybe they're dueling Baltimore late into the year anyway. Right. And instead things fell apart 
and yet plus 82 run differential in the playoffs today, that's what you want. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what you want to build, at least from a organizational standpoint. You know, there's still things that could be better. I'm not saying the Jays are a finished product. I have zero expectations, although I think the Twins are kind of dust going into this playoffs. But that's the sort of team you want, a luck-proof organization capable of taking punches and and continuing forward, even if it is in an uninspiring zombie-like stumble. (laughs) And, you know... I, I would think like I would make the comparison to a hockey team like the J now I'm not saying the Jays are going to do what this team did last year. Right. But I would look at like the Florida Panthers. That's a good one. You know what I mean? Where like, and again, the Florida Panthers, as much as the conversation about them in the playoffs was like, Oh wow. So clutch. And like, they always come through and Matthew Kachuk. Like it wasn't, it was only a few months before that, that Matthew Kachuk's dad was calling them soft on Toronto radio. Right. And Paul Maurice was losing it at them on the bench and questioning the team's heart. Like that, was only a few months before they started going on this incredible run. And I think the thing with the, the Panthers had was, okay, they had that baseline level of talent that a lot of things could go wrong for them and they could miss players to injury and they could have, they, they could look like, you know, they didn't have that dog in them. They didn't have uh, the good vibes around the team, but the talent carried them to a point where it could take off and they could, they could bring it all together in the playoffs. Again, I'm not predicting, predicting the Jays no. are going to do that, but it's, it's a similar shape of the season. I think for well, let me give you another one. I they these this team actually missed the playoffs narrowly mm-hmm. the year prior, but the Golden Knights. Yeah, the Golden Knights for sure. Right where it was yeah. like, yeah, if you lose your starting goaltender and have nine other injuries, but at the end of the day, they still finished two points clear of a Canucks team that had everything go right for it for fifty six games. Mm-hmm. You know, like they still finished two points clear of Vancouver with a plus eighteen goal differential. That that to me would be another example. Um, Ultimately, the playoff line is a little bit random. This is something yeah, I mean, that's arbitrary. It's arbitrary. It's, yeah. it's not even the top 16 teams in the league. We talk about it like it is, but it's not, right? You don't make the playoffs for being an even an above average team. You make it for being one of the three top teams in your own division or the, the, the sixth and seventh best leftover team within your conference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Florida Panthers finished beneath the Calgary Flames in total points last year. One is regarded as this conquering hero team that ran to the Stanley Cup final. The other is like, man, they're dust. What, like, what, <laughs> what are they ever going to do? You know, they're aging now. Yeah. Management and coach gone, right? Like it's the, the line is so arbitrary. It's that baseline level that you want to hit. And it's that baseline level that I think I've become more concerned about. Mm -hmm. as training camp has gone on. And this is sort of where, you know, I still want to see more. I haven't been able to be at as many practices like over the weekend as I'd I'd have liked to be, so I need to get a little bit back in touch. Uh, Two more preseason games remain. I'll get to a few practices I want to see and have a sense of the vibes from, from what I understand. You know, things are pretty good internally in terms of being happy about how things have gone through training camp in the preseason, and that matters to me, especially because in pre- the pe- previous two seasons, the the lack of that, yes. the lack of f- functional um, the carrying on mm-hmm. behind the scenes sort of informed my fade to some extent. So I, I, I'm not, you know, shoveling dirt on the Canucks by any means before the season has begun. I, I think this is a team that could be interesting. 
But I think the question you raised there of like, okay, have they have they done enough to improve the baseline or like to raise the floor of the team, right? And I think because that's what a lot of the focus on in terms of the personnel moves was mm. in the summer, like. Teddy Bluger, Ian Cole, Carson Soucy, those are floor-raising moves. And I totally. don't say that to disparage the players. No, I think no, it's, no. It's a very valuable thing, right? Because Puce Suter, I would throw into that, right? Like, totally. Because you look at when the when the wheels have come off in past seasons, it's been because of a lack of de- defensive structure, the PK, all of those things, yeah. right? So you bring in guys to supplement those areas, and theoretically, it should raise the floor, but you're also still looking at it and... You know, we always talk about this team, I think, in terms of like, okay, the high end is good, or we often do this. The high end talent is good, but the depth is really concerning. And so, okay, hey, management went out and addressed the depth. But now you look at it and like having Cole McWard potentially in your top six or or you're on your top pair, that's not a depth issue. You know what I mean? It's no. not like this team is lacking guys who could plausibly be your sixth defenseman in a sheltered role. They have lots of those. You know, PDG in your top six. That's well, not a depth issue. That's no. a that's a high-end talent issue. Well, so it's exactly. And this is what, I, like, as training camp has unfolded, right, it's like we've gotten to a point where in pole position to play on the first line, should Ilya Mikheyev not be ready for game one, which feels increasingly likely based mm. on him being ruled out for the final two tune-up preseason games, you've got Anthony Beauvillier, whose career high is 40 points. On your second line, feeling like he's locked in, is Phil DiGiuseppe. Phil DiGiuseppe's career high is 17 points. That was in 2015-16. That's on your second line. Yeah. You know, and then you go down to the third, and and I mean, the way they skated yesterday, you've got Joshua, you've got Garland, who for me is a top six forward, um, and, and Suter, who I like is a middle six guy. But even that's not an above average third line. Like, it's got one, maybe two components for, for what you yep. could have as an above, an above average. average third line. Yeah. And then we're talking about Amon, Studnika, Bluger. And it's like, okay. I mean, I could see them having something like a Highmore, Mott, Lamico type thing. Like, maybe they can hit lightning in a bottle. Hey, streets will never forget. That was the best. That was the best. What, what a time that was. When, when a team is truly exceeding expectations, like on a wild run. There's always something like that yeah. where it's like a bunch of guys who won't be in the NHL. Like, uh, I don't know if you remember the um, Colorado Avalanche, like the first Patrick Waugh season. Yeah. And uh, and it was a local kid who actually was like the, the in the Lamico Highmore type role. His name was Brandon Yip. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Brandon Yip, Vancouver kid. Um, and that season... Uh, you know, 12 goals, 22 points, third line minutes. And people were like, this guy, you know, t- t- talking about him like he's Yuri Lettinen. And it's like, dudes, he's even money to be in the league in three years, which is not disparaging a guy who played amazing hockey for a team that made the playoffs. Right. Uh, kudos to him. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you had this with uh, I remember writing a piece at the score about the Buffalo Sabres being the worst team in the league, despite being on an 11, like not the worst team in the league historically bad. Mm-hmm. I said that the Buffalo Sabres are still historically bad. Ignore the fact that they're 11 and two this month. Like this can happen to even the historically bad Buffalo Sabres. And um, Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News, who like I have no problems with. I'm not trying to take a shot at him. But uh, at the time I was a, a young buck in the industry, said that I'd wasted ink because I'd failed to account for the Digital injury ink. to Brian Flynn. <laughs> and I was like, sorry, Mike. Come at me again in three months. I, th- I think he blocked me and unblocked me recently. Congratulations. So, thank you. Anyway, the uh, 
this this is always how it looks like when it, when a team exceeds expectations over over a small window is some guy like and hey hey maybe the Canucks have that in Amon mm-hmm. Bluger Stanika but when I look through this whether it's McWard whether it's DiGiuseppe whether it's Hoaglander as we've gotten further away from the paper prognostications of yep. what this lineup could look like I'm beginning to get concerned about what I see as he is like atrophying my atrophying confidence in Vancouver's baseline skill level. You know, yeah. I, I don't, I'm no longer viewing this as a team that's like, I, you know, I know Dom LeCision has them pegged as like a 92 point true talent team. I've been talking about them like a 90 point true talent team. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I even think that's a little bit generous if Pedersen, Hughes, Demko, Miller, Kuzmenko, Heronic aren't throwing absolute fireballs. Well, and it's those, the latter three there, right? And I'll just keep this to skaters. But like, if you're, if I'm just saying, thinking, okay, where do I have the most concerns in terms of the skaters? It's not the low end of the roster, right? And it's not definitely not Pedersen and Hughes. Like, I, I think that, you know, Oman, Bluger, Studnika could be a really effective fourth line. I yeah, like, me too. I like Suter and Bluger down the middle as your third and fourth line me centers. Too. Like, I don't, I wouldn't call it elite or anything, but I think it's more than credible. I'm totally comfortable with Carson Soucy and Ian Cole in some order on your second and third. Yeah, pick. absolutely. Right. Like, it's not the bottom end of the roster. I would say it's, and it's not Pedersen and Hughes. That's the thing I'm most confident in. But I would say it's like skaters three through eight. Which is where I have the most questions. So like Kuzmenko, Miller, Hronik, Besser, Garland, and then maybe Ian Cole or something like that, right? And it's can those guys be and I wouldn't call that depth. I don't like that's not the depth of the roster. That's the supporting cast. Or those that should encompass a lot of guys who are core players for you. And it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned Hronik, Kuzmenko, and Miller, and those are the guys that I think really need to step up and make this iteration of the team, this version of the team work. And it's fascinating because those are also, I would argue, the three players on this roster that this management group has kind of staked the most on, right? By extending JT Miller, by making the trade for Philip Hronik, by keeping Andre Kuzmenko and extending him, albeit only for two years, on a very reasonable number. Like, those are some big bets that they've placed, and I think those are the players that are really going to have to perform. I'm. It's not fair to look at it and say, hey, Cole McWard has to really step up and take this opportunity. Like, yeah, you would love to see it. You would love to see Cole McWard mirror what John Marino did in his rookie year, but that's placing way too many expectations on a guy who's kind of here, you know, not necessarily because of his play, but just because of the circumstances around him. I don't think we should be looking at, you know, Bovillier, PDG, McWard as the guys that really need to step up and do it. It's those, it's that higher tier of players, like tier two and tier three players on this team. I think that's where the pressure should be. And that like management has kind of put the pressure on those players by making those bets on them as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, Cause I think you're right. That, those guys need to be at an ex- extremely high level to maintain even a 92-point base mm. base talent level. And then I'd add this. Here's the other part where my skepticism has sort of amped up over the course of 10 days of training camp is, you know, Hoaglander's now on the third line and or fourth line, fourth and line. it looks like he's battling for a fourth-line wing spot. So, you know, that I, – I mean – that increases my concern, not not just because Hoaglander is getting buried, but because I can see a case for Hoaglander being, you know, a, a credible top six supporting option. Yep. In, in a way that I struggle with a little bit more well, I think- on guys who have already hit, 
you know, are, are already in their late 20s, like Beauvillier and DiGiuseppe. Yeah. Pod Colson not making it. Yeah. Diminish it, you know, not even coming close to making. Those are those Hoagland or Pug Colson are huge, obviously, because if you go back a month and we're all in our mind's eye drawing up lineups and everything, yeah, and they're we're fixtures in the top, and, nine. yeah, and we're picturing like the ideal versions of Hoaglander and Pod Colson. And now Pod Colson, that's definitely not an option. Hoaglander falling down the lineup, and all of a sudden the top nine looks much, much different than it did a month ago in our mind's eye. By the way, I was looking at Pod Colson's ice time with various teammates because I was curious to see how many he'd skated with. Mm-hmm. A, like a lot, the, a lot, 11 guys over, over a hundred minutes, uh, 11 forwards. That's not even counting defenders because mm-hmm. that doesn't give us a good sense of how much a guy's been bumped around. And it's everything from like Miller, Horvat, Pedersen, Dries, Dickinson. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, there's no consistency there, which was what I was most interested in. But while I was looking at it, I found something else that I like made my eyes bulge out of my head. Like I was a, you know, Looney Tunes cartoon. Uh-huh. 415 minutes Garland with Pod Colson. Okay, so Garland's been Pod Colson's most common line mate by, you know, a factor of about half an hour over okay. over Pedersen. The Canucks have outscored their opponents 23-9 in those minutes. That's wild, right? It's interesting. And it's also interesting because does, there's... Does it make sense to you that, like, a big-bodied guy with a little bit of finishing ability is a good compliment for Garland? Like, doesn't that make sense to you that, yep. like... In some ways, Pod Colson's limitations might enhance what well, Garland does. It's funny because, like, Garland, I think, has earned this reputation here in Vancouver of difficult to play with. And I think that's because he hasn't found that chemistry with any of the centers on yeah. the team, really. You know, even going back to Horvat. I, I see. I don't know if he doesn't have chemistry with Miller. I think it's that the organization's been so intent on using Miller in Tufts mm. and is completely unwilling to try that with Garland mm-hmm. that. They've just never really played well, together. But I do, I not, do not also that they've never think played together, that they, Garland works best where he can be the puck dominant guy in a line. And you yep. don't want that if Miller or Pedersen is on his line. No, right? you like, want them he, to be the puck dominant guy. Yeah, exactly. Guys. Right. Yeah. So I think like that's why that's one of the reasons Garland works in a third line offensive role is, OK, hey, you're not playing with an elite center now. You can do most of the work with the puck. And I think Pod Colson fits into that, too. Right. Like, hey, go to the net and Garland, let Garland do his work in the corners and do his spins. And then, you know, maybe you can clean up. Up the trash in front of the yeah. net. Uh, just, just a weird thing that I noted. Uh, between between the young guys not hitting, the club's eccentric approach to their defense pairs, mm-hmm. and and some lower end players than I think we'd ever have penciled in, uh, playing higher up the lineup than we'd ever have imagined. I think that combination of things. In addition to the Blue Jays being in the playoffs today, <laughs> just had me thinking about this team's baseline talent level and sort of where over the course of training camp and and I mean the fat part of the bell curve, like where it's trended. Yes. Has it gone left or right? You, and why, it's, I would for, never assume you to be talking about the skinny part of the bell curve. Cause, cause, <laughs> well, because I still think I still think the the extreme right side of the bell curve, uh-huh. I still see that. Yeah, of course. I still of see course. the upside case for this team. But the middle of the road case to me feels like it's trended in the wrong direction over the course of 10 days. I I don't know if you agree or... Well, here's what I'll say. And I think in preseason especially, I end up taking a lot of my cues from, like, 
what the team has to say and what the coaching staff is showing us. You know what I mean? And that's why Rick Tockett's commentary after the game in Seattle, I think probably concerned me a lot more than some other people because I thought it was just really notable at that point in preseason. And I also like I look at a lot of what's happening in his, his commentary on the defense pairing and the need for flexibility and, you know, shuffling Bovillier and Hoagland or Joshua around the lineup like it feels like a coach who's still looking for answers. Now, it doesn't mean he won't find them, but like that, that like that's kind of where we're at. And as Jim Rutherford said, you want everything to go right, and that doesn't feel like a symptom of everything going right. Mm. You know what I mean? Now, it could look completely different once they start playing the games and talk. It will find those combinations. But I think especially like when we don't have real games to analyze and real results to analyze what talk is doing and saying holds a lot of weight. Yeah. And so I think that's a source of concern for me is that it's coming kind of from the coach, like the coach to me does not seem like he's really excited about the roster right now or the lineup. But before we go to break, lots of people fired up about the, the idea. Backing intake. Yeah. So Jamie, the, um, Jamie, the Armstrong contractor says maybe people back their car or truck in because it's way easier to get out of the spot when the parking lot gets full, ever drive a truck or a pickup. You both sound like a bunch of yahoos with comments like that. First of all, it was just me. You didn't a bunch of it. yahoos. I just want to say trucks and utility vehicles are exempt from my criticism. I'm talking about the person in the sedan doing it. Mm. And when, when it's, there's like a long line behind them, you know what yep. I mean? It's just like, come on. Um, also, uh, from Jeremy and Langley. Backing into a parking spot drastically reduces the chance of an accident when leaving. The Canucks roster consistently drives forward into parking spots like you do and reverses out with no <laughs> mirrors every year, writes Jeremy and Langley. And finally, from JT in the Valley. I drove a p- truck for years, and even though I've sold out to the dad SUV, I still automatically reverse into stalls without thinking. Does it make me a bad person? Yes. But am I also outrageously good at it? Also, yes. JT, so long as, or TJ, excuse me, so long as you um, recognize the problem. And we're, my we're thing, good. I will say on parking, as long as we got to go because we got Harmon waiting here, but as long as you're parking between the lines, I don't know if this is just me becoming a cranky old man or it's actually gotten worse, but I feel like I see so many people parked just like egregiously across two spots these days, and it drives me nuts. <laughs> it drives me absolutely nuts. So well, well, it's back illegal. in, go forward, whatever you do, just go stay between the no, lines. Don't guys. back in. Stay between the don't lines. Don't be that guy unless you're in a truck or utility vehicle. Yeah. All right. We will take a break here. Uh, Harmon Dial from The Athletic joins us next here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Strands live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. The uh, backing in uh, in the parking lot debate rages on in the inbox, but well, we'll get back to that at another time. Right now, very pleased to be joined on the on the line from the Athletic uh, by our guy Harmon Dial. Harmon, what's going on, man? Nothing much. Did I hear something about uh, parking parking um, and, and doing it uh, through the back? Yeah, well, is back, that, is that backing it going yes. on. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, so your answer have already. I remember my first training camp. Drancer and I were were talking about that. So. 
I'm definitely, I don't mind if I have a car with a backup camera in it. I'll definitely park in reverse. Yeah, Drance came out hard against backing into a parking stall in a parking lot. And well, and Harmon will vouch for me. This is like a true born thing that I've often considered to be a character flaw whenever I see someone doing it. Oh, wow. Well, at least you've never seen me doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you've admitted to it now. That's, you, he's never actually seen you do it. Vital for our working relationship that I haven't. <laughs> um, all right. We're, uh, so there's, there's lots of interesting stuff happening around the Canucks right now, Harm. And I, I think, you know, one of the most fascinating things has been, was the commentary from Rick Tockett yesterday about the approach they're going to take to their, their defense pairs, how flexible they're going to be, you know, the idea that we're not really going to see uh, solid pairs from game to game or even within a game. What do you make of of that approach that Rick Tockett outlined yesterday? Yeah, it could work. I honestly have a, uh, I honestly have some suspicion about about how feasible it's going to be over the course of an 82 game season just because look, I understand sometimes in a game situationally, if you're defending a lead or you got a you know specific offensive zone start after you finish killing a penalty, it can make sense to um, you know switch things up occasionally. But I don't like approaching uh, approaching from a game to game basis this idea that you're going to be flexible with your deep pairs just because I think it's important to build chemistry. Uh, the way that you read off of your partner plays a huge role because. When you're confident and can depend and can depend that you and your partner are reading the play the same way and that you guys understand each other's role, then you're more more confident about your decision making when it comes to let's say pinching in the offensive zone or jumping up in the rush, and you're just able to play with more conviction and and you're less in your head. And, and I think uh, think about even the top pair with Quinn Hughes. Look, Hughes is so talented that. He can probably play at an elite number one level regardless of who he's paired with. But I don't love the idea of him having to cycle through two to three different partners um, over the course of a, of a given game. Because, again, I just think that you put him in a position where can he be as aggressive, as attacking as, as he typically is if he doesn't always know the tendencies of, um, of of his partners. And I think you just unlock, you would unlock the best version of him if he's able to build, chem- if he's able to build chemistry, they know how to play off of each other in the offensive zone. Um, I, I, I just think familiarity matters. Do you buy that mixed and matched defense pairs is a philosophical or tactical preference for, for Adam Foote? And Rick Tockett, or do you think it's more likely a response to the player personnel uh, that they've got under their charge on defense? I think it's mostly the latter, right? They've clearly shown an indication that they prefer to have uh, lefty-righty. And when you look at the right side, they clearly don't have uh, two right-shot top-four defensemen right now. They only have Philip Pronix. So that puts them in a spot where if you want to pigeonhole a righty in there, like a Cole McWard, there's just no way that he can play 20, 22 minutes a night in that role consistent consistently. So that means you're going to have to do it by committee. And that's where I think even through camp, we've seen them experiment through so many different options and it's because they haven't had a clear cut answer. They haven't, they haven't had, um, 
a perfect solution in their mind of who should play on the right side in the top four besides Philip Ronick. When when you look at this, uh, you know this lineup. We were we were talking um, in the first segment, Harm, about you know the difference between depth and, and the management has talked a lot about trying to improve the depth on this team. And you know you look at Suter and Bluger and Susie and Cole, and I think they've done that. But the high end of the lineup after Hughes and Pedersen, I, I think it still remains a question mark for me. And I, I think you know the way I'm looking at this team as it lines up right now, my biggest questions are what can Hronik give them, Kuzmenko and Miller. I think that. That spot is really, you know, I think the bigger question mark than the depth. Do you think that's fair looking at how the team is lining up right now? Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be huge to see what version of JT Miller um, you get, for example. Is it going to be closer to what the Canucks had in, in you know, the last 30 games or so where he was able to effectively play second line minutes at 5 on 5 and he looked fantastic? Or is it more so going to look like first 50 games or so where yeah, he put up a lot of points, but defensively, it just wasn't close to being good enough. And I even think about when you mentioned this idea of um, the top of the lineup, I mean, it says something that we've had this conversation about how deep the Canucks are on the wings and they have so many different winger options. And yet you're in a spot where Phil DiGiuseppe is starting the year in a top six role. And don't get me wrong, DiGiuseppe has been brilliant in training camp and preseason like he always is. But I think that's a reflection of the Canucks in certain spots of the lineup where it's, you know, the top six left wing. And of course, Mikhail will eventually come back. But even when he does, like there's a question mark about how is he going to look after coming off of an ACL injury? I mean, you look at the way Tom Wilson looked when, when he returned last year, it, it, he wasn't close to being hundred percent. And the point I'm trying to make is there are some of these spots like where DJ weird, where DJ Seppi is right now, where, um, where the, the right right side spot next to Hughes where you're looking at it and going, you're still a little bit nervous about how those guys are going to fit and complement, complement the rest of the top end uh, talent you have. And that, and that puts more of a burden, more of a pressure on guys like Patterson, Miller, Kuzmenko, Hughes. And of course those guys are uber talented, but over the course of the 82 game season, they're going to need other guys to step up. Harmon, we were talking about it and I was sort of discussing a bunch of factors that have caused me to sort of grow a little bit concerned with Vancouver's baseline talent level, not the ceiling case for this team, but sort of the baseline talent level that we're watching. Um, You know, just to quickly go over them among, among my concerns include that it looks to me like Tyler Myers is still going to play top four minutes that you've got Cole McWard on the top pair and I haven't seen anything that shows me he's ready for that type of look. Phil DiGiuseppe's career high in points is 17. That was nine years ago. Um, Anthony Beauvillier's 40 points, and that that was last year. Um, Art, do you share some of my concern? Like, for me, the last 10 days have served to almost move what I see as the most likely outcome for the Canucks on a bell curve uh, a little bit to the left perhaps more so than I, than I was hoping to at this point. Yeah, I think on paper heading into this season, I viewed them as a sort of coin flip to make the playoffs. And looking at the way things have trended so far and seeing that there hasn't been a sort of perfect fit in the, in the top four yet alongside Hughes, um, seeing that you're probably rolling with Di Giuseppe on a top six line um, and some of the other factors you mentioned it does make me a little less optimistic than 50-50 right now. 
uh, in terms of their, you know, playoff chances. I still think they can, you know, if you're, let's say, a team that has hypothetically a 40% chance, you still got fantastic odds. And this is still a team that has a lot of, um, a lot of star talent, particularly if uh, Demko can rebound with improved defensive form in front of him. Um, but you're right. There are some of those lineup questions that have cropped up that I didn't anticipate where, you know, heading into the season, for example, I expected that Pod Colson and Hoaglander would have played really high leverage roles. And, and yeah, it's been nice to see Hoaglander sort of um, step into and look good in training camp or preseason, preseason so far, but he still has something to prove in terms of showing that he can be a difference maker as an everyday middle six forward. And with Pod Colson, we've obviously seen him have a really rough uh, training camp and, and preseason so far. And, and just the depth D battle um, in camp and preseason has been pretty underwhelming so far. I expected to see a little bit more uh, out of a guy like uh, Will Annan. It was dis- disappointing to see um, how much Juleson struggled after he looked like he could be a competent NHL option uh, in a very limited sample down the stretch. Um, even a guy like Philip Johansson, um, the, the organization was talking about him as a player that they believe could play NHL games this, this year, and, and he clearly still looks um, a little bit raw. So um, there absolutely still are, in, in a couple of these spots, um, a little bit more lineup uncertainty than I anticipated heading in. You know, you, you mentioned Hoaglander and Pug and I wanted to ask you about both of them, and I'll, I'll start with Hoaglander. It's been interesting because, obviously, he starts training camp with uh, Pedersen and Kuzmenko, and, I, you know, it, I don't think he, he's been poor by any stretch, but he has seen himself fall down the lineup a little bit. Uh, do you think there's a risk for Hoaglander of maybe even being a healthy scratch when Mikheyev comes back? And, and what does he have to do to kind of assert his place in the lineup even when Mikheyev is healthy? Yeah, he does have more to prove because I think he's been um, quiet when I think about the the game, the last game against um, Edmonton, for example. And it's not that he's played poorly. I, I think that's important to note as well is quiet isn't the worst thing in the sense that it also means he hasn't been making mistakes turning the puck over. It means that he's generally been pretty responsible defensively. So that's, you know, that's a good thing. That's a sign of progress. But you do want him making more uh, of a consistent offensive uh, impact. And, and yeah, when McKay returns, when you're looking at the sort of le- left wing uh, depth chart, uh, you're looking at him in going the way that Di Giuseppe has just endeared himself to this coaching staff and how, and how he differentiates himself with the size and um, wall play and, and attributes that some of the other Canucks wingers don't have. Um, like at this point, Di Giuseppe has to be probably in the coaching staff's lineup or coaching staff's mind in the lineup over Hoaglander. And then, and then if it's not in a top nine role for Hoaglander, it's, he's not the best stylistic fit in the fourth line role. So absolutely. I, I do think he needs to um, build some more momentum here. Again, I don't think he's played poorly, but um, he does need to be more impactful to stick in a top nine role. And with Pod Colson, I mean, obviously the more disappointing of the two performances starting in a top six role, but not really doing anything to impress uh, from that position and now finds himself uh, a, a relatively early cut from the team, although part of that big group of cuts on the weekend. What does the path forward look like for Pod Colson for the Canucks to try to salvage some value from the top 10 pick? 
Yeah, look, I think Pod Colson has the size, the work rate, and the puck skills to be an NHL player. I think at this point it's solving the mental game for him. Because going back all the way to his time with Scott in Russia, he's constantly been in a survival mode, worried about his lineup spot for the last four to five seasons. I mean, think about it. Since 1718, the guy has been understandably terrified of making mistakes because he's always had such a short leash. He's always been in a position fighting to just stay in the lineup. And you compare that to most other top prospects who at 17, 18, 19, 20, they're playing top line, top power play, all situations. Uh, they're playing against their junior aged peers rather than uh, a top men's league. And, and because of that, they get to score a lot of goals. They get to score a lot of points. They get to feel good about themselves. They develop self-belief and they're not even worried about ice time and opportunity and man, I can't make a turnover. Otherwise they're going to get benched. They just go out there and, and they play. And it feels like pod Colson's never really had that where in this development process, there's always been a weight and a pressure um, on him. And, and he hasn't just been able to play free. And, and I remember even talking to KHL executive um, probably about three years ago, who knew Pod Colson when he was developing in, in Russia. And, and he told me he feels like he's walking on eggshells. And it hasn't changed since he's arrived in North America uh, and gotten to the NHL. So when you frame it that way, it's no wonder that he can sometimes look like he's in his head. It, it's, it's no wonder why he looks like he's tentative sometimes, why he second guesses himself. And I think it's telling that I remember... Um, a game against Nashville under Tockett where Pod Colstead finally scored. And there was something that immediately clicked where the next shift you watched him handle the puck off the wall in a breakout. And he was so much more assertive and looking to dictate play. And he had his head up and there was just no second guessing. It all came naturally. And he looked way more comfortable. And now you watch him. Um, and oftentimes when he's sort of, struggling and in this spot where he's um, fighting to stay in the lineup, he's tentative in those situations. And I wonder how much of that is confidence rather than him having shortcomings as, as a player. And I think going to Abbotsford, like he needs to play a big role, find some consistency and get his confidence back up to the point where when he is eventually brought back up to the NHL, I want him to be in a position where he could just find a role and stick in it rather than, be yo-yoing in and out of lineup and constantly changing line mates and, and worried about how his role is going to change on a game-to-game basis. Harmon, how should the organization be balancing the fact that Pod Colson hasn't had consistency and could clearly use it in terms of hitting his ceiling with the short-term goal of trying to make the playoffs here? Excuse me. Yeah, I think that's where you want him to develop that initial, hopefully, sense of confidence um, in the AHL. Uh, it, it's there's no way I, I think you could have done it and, and made it work with the NHL lineup right now with the team's playoff goals because, frankly, he just didn't look close to being one of their top 12 forwards. And with other guys competing for for spots, how you look at how. Uh, well, a guy like Jack Studnika and, and Nils Oman have, have looked and how valuable they could be in bottom of the lineup roles. And you just can't commit right now to promising Pod Coles in a consistent everyday lineup spot with the way that he had looked to this point. So it has to, I think, be a case of him at least starting in the A and whether, you know, whether it's a month, uh, whether it's two months, 
hopefully he can, you know, stick in a high leverage role in Abbotsford, produce some points, get his confidence back up. And then once he's um, into the lineup, um, he's recalled back to the NHL when you're probably fighting through at least an injury or two on your main roster and there's a little bit less competition, then I think you can commit to, okay, there may be some, you know, growing pains, but we're going to stick with this guy um, in, in an everyday role, even if it's playing in a, in a fourth line role, just give him that consistency. Hey, Harmon, you had a great piece up uh, at The Athletic today doing, uh, you know, every athletic writer is apparently their favorite thing, putting things in tears. Then this is the top uh, the top two center duos in the NHL, uh, you know, putting all the teams in tears. And the Canucks grayed out pretty well here. They're in the uh, the high end tier three with some other, you know, Pittsburgh, Toronto, uh, Buffalo, teams like that with really strong center duos. And, you know, obviously Elias Patterson and JT Miller, you're counting on it to be uh, a strength of this team, but there are quite question marks surrounding JT Miller. What do you think are reasonable expectations for JT Miller's performance this year? It's a big wild card. Uh, I'd be lying if I told you to know what version to expect of him. I can tell you that he's probably going to be around the point per game mark, but what I can't tell you with, uh, with as high a degree of confidence is where exactly he'll be at in terms of his two-way game and, and as a play driver, because it's been a yo-yo ever since he's gone to Vancouver um, in terms of that defensive play and that ability, especially to, to do it at, uh, at center ice, right? Because you look at the stats and the point totals are, are, have always been relatively consistent. He's always been fantastic there, but you think year one, 2019-20, it was fantastic on the lotto line. It was, it was an elite sort of um, uh, piece piece there in terms of um you know driving play and, and helping that first line be one of the best uh top lines in the nhl then the 2021 campaign he really he really struggled um in terms of his defensive results and that was the first time we saw him at center in a canucks uniform then obviously 2021-22 he had the huge 99 point season and uh, he was fantastic in the middle. And then last year, we saw the tale of two halves, one under Boutreau and one under, one under Tockett. So it is a big wild card. The one thing I will say is he really needs some he, – he needs better help than he had last year on his wings in terms of the driving play aspect. Uh, because I think about Brock Besser, for example. Look, if, if Miller's going to be in, in – a role where he's playing tough matchups, matching up against the opposition's best players again. He can't do all the heavy lifting on his own, and that's where you look at Besser. It was uncharacteristic to see how much he struggled defensively last year, how much um, less consistent he looked on the walls, on the forecheck. Um, and he's a player that has a lot more to give there. I mean, Besser, you look at his best season as a Canuck in that 2021 shortened year where he had 49 points in 56 games, fantastic career results. What was interesting is some of the microstats tracked by Instat showed that Besser in that year was one of the NHL's best forwards at winning board battles, which Besser doesn't need to get back to that that high of a level again but he needs to be a lot better defensively to sort of help um help Besser out there or to help Miller out there and then on that left wing you know whether it's Di Giuseppe or, or whether Mikheyev can can get back and and return to his usual um two-way form and, and help out a speed element there 
Um, it'd be huge to have have somebody else there who can help out from a defensive and two-way perspective um, as well. Because, again, you look at how rough of a start Miller had on that first road trip. How many goals against he was on the ice for? Yes, a lot of it came from his undoing, but a lot of it was also Besser struggling enormously mm. defensively and with turnovers. And on the opposite wing, before Pearson went, went down with injury, he looked like a shadow of himself too. So Miller, I think, needs more help on the wings as much as the responsibility is on himself to do a better job of driving two-way, result, two-way results as well. Harmon, thank you for the time as always. Always a great chat. Uh, we'll do it again soon. Thanks, guys. That is Harmon Dial from The Athletic. And yes, you can uh, check out his latest piece. Every NHL team's top six center duos ranked from best to worst put in tiers. And uh, yeah, the Canucks grading out pretty well, which is no surprise. I mean, that should be a strength of their team. I do think it's an interesting point he makes about, yeah, look, JT Miller is a really good player, but he still needs help. And I almost think we've gotten so, like we've been so spoiled with the play of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes because they are so good no matter what situation you put them in and who they play with. Like remember when Elias Pettersson was like setting up Lane Peterson for goals last year, right? Yes. We almost forgot that that there's only like, what, like 12 guys in the league that that applies to? You know what I mean? Like, even really good players still need help. It's not fair to expect, like, even, like, JT Miller or Philip Ronick to do it without help. They need, like, there's almost this expectation that because Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes can do it, it's like, oh, yeah, just plug in whoever. And it's like, well, well, why aren't why isn't your second-line center performing like that? It's like, because even good players still need other good players to play with. And the flip side of this coin, too, is what, what can you amplify if you get yep. a great player to put with a great player, right? Because you see that on a variety of actual championship teams, and man, that's when you start cooking. When yeah. you get Makar, Devon Taves, right? That's when things begin to really change for a club. Yeah, or like you know Jake Gensel in in Pittsburgh, like that type of player, right? Where it's like they're not a superstar player, but they're a really, really, really good player that fit perfectly with your superstar well, and, players. And I'm really curious to see because I think Carlson can have that impact, mm. and and I'm fascinated to see what sort of impact a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's a legitimate East-West creator, can have on a guy like Adrian Kempe, who's been solely reliant on on counterattacking to generate mm. 30 goals a year. Um, this is going to be the first time ever that he's had like a real, real high-end setup, man, just because he arrived after Kopitar's Decline, offensive yeah. peak sort of had begun to flatten. Uh, you know, the... The returns from that kind of upgrade can be exponential in this sport. Absolutely. And yeah, I think harm is very, I think smart shout to highlight the winger positions uh, next to JT Miller. Look, JT Miller has to perform, but he's at a position and I think he's at a a place in his career where he needs that support. Right. I'll I'll be honest. 10 years ago, like people, people still say Vancouver media is like tough or whatever. 10 years ago, if we were this close to the start of the season and it looked like a, a guy with a career high of 17 points eight years ago was on the second line, it's like you wouldn't be able to turn on the radio without someone mentioning it, <laughs> you know? And I feel like it's something no one's even talking about. Yeah, well, it's just it, it, it's because it was built in last year, right? See, so it's I like, blame, yeah, I guess here it is. I blame Dan Riccio's <laughs> doppelganger. doppelganger, Tony. Yeah. yeah.
Potentially also Italian. Not necessarily, but could be Italian. I have no idea. Like I have no idea. Uh, that's fantastic. All right. Uh, we'll take a break. We have an update from Canucks practice. Uh, you know, pretty similar to yesterday. Patterson's still out, but we'll fill you in on all the details uh, from Canucks practice out at UBC. We'll take some of your texts as well. And uh, hopefully in the final hour, we'll have some Rick Tockett audio to play for you too. Lots more coming up here. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Uh, we started an hour early today, so we're already an hour into the show here. It's uh, our normal time. Yeah. Now, now I'm now I'm ready to go. We're going to be like the Canucks on Saturday, where it's like the game started an hour <laughs> earlier. So that first half was just us yeah. finding our rhythm. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, now the fireworks begin. That's right. Now I've really got my legs under me here. Uh, it's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Durant. It's Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I have an exciting new read to do here. Uh, Here it goes. This This is a good one. Tune in to the Sportsnet Radio Friday Soccer Report brought to you by Casiero del Diablo Wines and the Way to Be a Legend contest. The chance to win a once-in-a-lifetime trip to England for the ultimate Manchester United experience, including a chance to play a football game at Old Trafford where Manchester United legends will make an appearance. No purchase necessary. Conditions apply. Must be legal drinking age. Casiero del Diablo available at BC Liquor. Please enjoy responsibly. Enter in store or visit CasieroManchester.com. Is uh, Batch eligible to win this? <laughs> Probably not, unfortunately. We got a bunch of United supporters that's uh, that's scattered around the station. Dom, are you listening? If you won this prize, and you're not eligible, but if you won this prize, which United legend would you most want? I think he'd want uh, it's Wilfred Zaha, who he'd like to chat with after he beats Man's, Man United today. David Beckham. David Beckham, that's yeah, a good one. Yeah. You want oh, David Beckham to give you some service in the uh, in the box? Yeah, you head at home. Yeah, that'd yeah. be cool. I assume Beck would be it would be Harry Maguire. He wants him to retire, become a legend, and then play in this game with him. Or Eric Cantona. <laughs> if if a- Eric Cantona could kick Bick in the chest, I well, think he would take that. Would be complete. Yes. But, then, but then the event would have to take place in on the south side of London, not not at Old Trafford. That's right? fine. It's the experience. To, it's like the experience of getting kicked in the chest at Selhurst Park is not exactly what what the uh, the wine but company it's is advertising. It's Cantona. <laughs> yes, those are two good options. Uh, Casiero del Diablo. There you go. So uh, very exciting. By content. the way, applause to you. Thank Perfect you. pronunciation. Thank you. Well yeah. done. I took Spanish in high school. Did you really? I did. All three three years. Uh, two years maybe. Two three years? years. I don't know. It's a long time ago now. Cantona. By the way is on the absolute Hall of Fame, like the wall of honor for athletes that were incredible elite players, but looked like total ordinary Joes. 
Mm. You know, like that is a great list. If you could compile that, that is a great list. Pavel Datsuk. Pavel Datsuk's high on that list. Yeah. Pavel Datsuk legitimately looks like he's got a PhD in chemistry. (laughs) Mad scientist. Um, I would also uh, really strongly advise everyone to look up to Google the just just type in Eric Cantona speech. He's accepting some reward from UEFA mm-hmm. or something. And the speech he gives is basically about like something about like how humans will become eternal or something. And he ends it this way. Uh, Only accidents, crimes, wars will still kill us. But unfortunately, crimes, wars will multiply. I love football. Thank you. (laughs) That's how he ends his speech. Accepting the the award from UEFA. So I encourage everyone to go check out that because that's an all-time great moment uh, from Eric Cantona. Uh, All right. Uh, oh, people texting in now. Roy, uh, uh, not Roy Giggs, Ryan Giggs, right? Yeah. And yeah. Roy Keane. I, I saw the, yeah, yeah. I, I saw the text about Roy Keane. So I got it confused, but yeah, there you go. Um, Ryan Giggs is the nor- a normal looking guy. Is that what people are saying? No, no, no. Say? People are saying uh, United oh, okay. Legends. Because I was going to say, to if, take the field if you're picking Giggs over skulls for the ordinary, ordinary looking dude. Joe who was great at his sport. Uh, you're you're off your rocker because Paul Scholes looks like he drives a minivan and, <laughs> and is like responsible for the carpool to choir. Paul uh, Paul Scholes also looks just like extremely English to me. Oh yeah, just like yep, that's an English footballer. Uh, people, Phil Kessel, that's a great show. Oh, Phil Kessel, most ordinary sure. dude of all time, and the Iron Man says Tommy in the ring. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that, one. That is a very that's very a winner good one. Uh, all right. So quick update from Canucks practice. Uh, first and foremost, Elias Pettersson absent again under the weather per the team with a cold uh, from Rick Tockett. So that means Jack Stanika continues his fill-in assignment on the top line with Bovillia and Kuzmenko. And the lineup other than that unchanged. So still PDG with Miller and Besser. Joshua on the third line. Hoaglander skating on the fourth line with Amon and Bluger. Uh, Mikheyev still in a non-contact jersey. And then McWard with Hughes. Susie Hrona. Cole Myers, Wolanin, Brisebois, and Juleson uh, remain the extras on the blue line. And, you know, the guys really fighting for the final roster spots on the team. Uh, I did think it was at least a little interesting. You know, they did some power play work as well. And Batch tweeted out the power play groups. Hronik moved up to play on power play one in Pedersen's absence. Now, obviously, in Pedersen's absence is a huge asterisk there, but I think a lot of people since they acquired Ronick have been wondering, will they go, will they, will they try out a, uh, a two defenseman on the power play wrinkle? And Hey, again, at least when they're missing Elias Pedersen, they, they give it a look here. I don't know how much I'd read into it, but it's, it's something noteworthy. I mean, the movement power play that the Canucks have trotted out, I will say does leave schematic room for a two defender alignment. So I've, I've seen only the first practice but one thing I can tell you is bumper, net front, and left circle are pretty clearly more classic forward spots. Obviously, mm. you can put a forward in the right circle, but the rotation was not as frequent and and certainly off of draws and entries, a little bit less dynamic in terms of what spot you're going to mm-hmm. for whoever was playing the right circle, which included Cole McWard, by the way, on the third group. So the the third group that they trotted out actually had a two defender alignment. The the, the guy at the right flank, which is Pedersen's usual spot, still has the like fluidity to change and to attack from behind the net to like reverse play behind the net, but really was like solidly more fixed yeah. than the other three and spots. So, I mean, it does kind of naturally make sense to me that that you could at least 
do that formation, that movement formation that Rick Tockett is um, envisioned and is trying out with two defenders. Yeah, I mean, I still think you shouldn't do it, but well, you can't, right? Like, I think especially if you're trying to be all about movement and fluidity, and you know, having the 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 creativity and the flexibility, like. That's all the reason more not to go to a two defenseman look, right? You totally. want guys who can go into any different position well, who have that really high level of puck skills. And if you do, go to go with Hughes on one of the flanks and Hironik's bomb at the top, right? A right-handed bomb on the top, given all of Vancouver's yeah. lefty shooters who are great passers. Uh, and given that Quinn Hughes, you know, is a centerman quality playmaker in his own right, makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, so again, this is all happening with the the very important context of Elias Pettersson not being on the ice with that group uh, today. But uh, at least for today, Hughes and Hronick getting a look together on the top power play unit for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, this text came in earlier, and it, it's something we've kind of uh, brought up a couple of times on recent shows, but. Uh, somebody asking, um, do you guys think McWard is just a placeholder to get experience while they wait for a waiver pickup or trade candidate? And, you know, you had a piece up at The Athletic today collecting some of your thoughts about the Vancouver Canucks. And one of the uh, things you mentioned was looking at potential waiver wire candidates specifically filling that right shot need for the Canucks. And we should mention everyone who was on waivers yesterday cleared. So no claims put in by the Canucks today. Uh, I haven't seen the list of guys put out today, but I assume there's some at least that have been put out there. But I did think there was a couple of interesting names that you identified as potential options for the Canucks, not that have gone on waivers yet, but just looking at the roster math for their teams could easily end up there soon. Yeah. Uh, so one of them, J- Jared Bernard or Jacob Bernard Docker is in fact on waivers today. So is Alec Rugula, regu- Regula, excuse me, who I didn't include, but is another right-handed defenseman out of Boston. Um, you know, Bernard Docker, I know, has Canucks fans excited because he hits one of the most important boxes in public waiver wire claims. And well, no, in, yeah, in in public hockey analysis, which is he's guy you've pick. heard of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's a yep. guy you've heard of because he played for Canada and he was a first round pick. But you know what? He's like we were talking about this yesterday. He is on the wrong side of like the magic dividing line from when you're of your draft year. He's totally. a 2018, which means there's a good chance he clears. If he was 2019, it's like, oh, someone's going to pick him up. I, I, yeah, I also just don't think he's the answer to anyone's problems in the top four. Certainly, I mean, you know, if if you need, uh, like, I, I guess I could see a Florida or an Arizona, like one of those butterfly catcher teams that mm-hmm. like to just sort of gamble. Um, speculatively on high upside defenders. I guess I could see it. But even then, you know, I don't think he's got the puck skills. He certainly doesn't have the scoring profile. Like, I don't think he's got Noah Juleson level puck skills. No, I mean, his his scoring profile as a pro is like underwhelming. Non-existent. Yeah. Two points in 32 NHL games last year in the A, six points in 41 games. I, I like and and for all that we think that you anyone can just play with Quinn Hughes, like we've seen that that's not true as much as we've seen that it is true. Like Tucker Pullman didn't work there. Mm-hmm. He didn't. And the reason was that he didn't have a baseline level of puck skills required to recycle pucks and not waste possessions when, when he was on Hughes's right side. Um, and that's despite being like an exceptional skater, Tucker Pullman, who, you know, I, I hope he's, his quality of life is really high right now, but like he was an unbelievable skater and his defensive instincts were actually legitimate. Like he was a good defensive defender. 
but he didn't have that baseline level of puck skills. Say what you want about, and I, I think everyone would agree that Tanev did. Say oh, yeah. what you want about Jordy Ben, but like, go watch Jordy Ben even today break the puck out. And it's like head fakes. Like, he's a really savvy passer. Mm-hmm. He is. He's not a dynamic puck carrier. There's no one's idea of an offensive defenseman, but he has a very high level of baseline puck skills. And, well, and yeah. so does Luke Shen. Yeah. I mean, Luke Shen, I think his greatest attribute, oh, he, he met the baseline and then he understood the importance of getting Quinn Hughes the puck and how to get Quinn Hughes right. the puck really well. Right. right. Like, like, he had that but baseline. But you were about to say self awareness. Well, yeah, no, no, no. But like he, ma- he, the mental side of his game allowed him to maxi- maximize totally. the baseline of puck skills. Short, that he had. short passes, yeah. safe passes, move the puck up. If I get it on the right side, either send it back down low or get it to Quinn Hughes, and that's about it. And and yeah. it was perfect. Like that works. That works. I don't think Bernard Docker has that level. Like I basically think it, you're looking at shorter Tucker Pullman with less offensive skill. That to me doesn't appeal. And I mean, I don't, I don't think like you, you only have one shot at this if you're doing it on the waiver wire, right? Cause you lose your waiver priority position. Now look, another guy could slip to you or whatever, but you're trying to kind of wait and take your moment. And I don't think there's enough there with Jacob Bernard Docker that you want to use your bullet and give up your waiver wire position, right? To, uh, to claim this guy or give up a roster spot or anything like that. So I don't think the profile is there. Yeah. He's on waivers today. You know, some of these other guys, they're uncertain. Maybe they get traded. Maybe they they don't end up being available, but I just don't think like I don't think it's worth going. It's worth trying that for uh, for a team with playoff aspirations like the Canucks, who again would be plugging them into the top of the lineup theoretically, right? It's not like you're you're sliding them into the the bottom pairing and seeing what you have. Uh, you're potentially relying on him to play a really meaningful role for you this season. But are there other? names out there that again haven't gone on waivers yet but that would interest you more than a Bernard Docker if they do hit waivers I mean the short answer is no you know like the short answer is no now I'm all for collecting guys on the wire but I'm not all for collecting guys on the wire to plug into play play with with Quinn Hughes Hughes. you know like that's the problem Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's guys worth taking a gander at like taking a look at it I've, I've long been a, a fan of Dylan Coughlin Duncan BC's yeah Dylan Coughlin he looks in tough like it's going to be one of him or Caleb Jones who the Carolina Hurricanes are, are gonna are gonna have to wave here um if it's Coughlin like you know six foot two right-handed defenseman he's definitely got the base baseline level of puck skills maybe you'd want a sturdier physical defensive option ideally with Quinn Hughes but who really cares like at this point a one also, body with NHL experience well, the thing like you're you're shopping useful. in the bargain bin here so there's 100%. gonna be some problems we're definitely in a beggars can't be choosers uh situation uh Daniil Miramanov is really interesting to me just because this is a guy who was truly kind of out of like we're talking about a guy who's like VHL ECHL like really one of the weirdest career paths you'll yeah, ever find this guy, so I was not aware of this guy until I read your piece and yeah it, it, he definitely stuck out to me because as you mentioned he's a um I'm blanking on the name now but uh, Dan Milstein yeah, Dan client. Milstein client but yeah like not just a, he's Russian he played in the queue before that he played in the Ontario Junior Hockey League for yeah. one game like a truly unique uh, he's played uh, in the ECHL played like he's played everywhere yeah so some uh, I was I've this is the time of year where I start talking to pro scouts and being like, who should my guys be? Who are your guys? You know, like what's going on? And one guy was like, I was asking who's going to, who's who could be on waivers that you're eyeing. 
um, and one guy mentioned Miramanov to me, uh, and then I started looking into it, and, like, first of all, his highlight package in the American League is actually sick. <laughs> like, this guy's sick. And, uh, and you know, there's some concerns about his defensive ability, but this guy's like an out-of-nowhere find by the Vegas Golden Knights. They have another guy, too, who I didn't even include because his name's um, Pachal or, 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 or Pachal. Or, mm-hmm. I, I don't actually know how to say it. Um, but some, some scouts liked him, but don't expect him to get cut. They think, gold, uh, they think Vegas really likes him. Um, but, yeah, this Miramanov guy's got one of the odder profiles you'll find. Plus he's six foot four, he's 26 yeah. and like scored at the a has scored at the a over two separate occasions. His, his, I'm telling you his high. He hasn't just scored in the a, his highlights are sick. <laughs> this is my guy now. <laughs> now like, 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 cause I had never heard of him. Right. Russian. Like I'll admit that he I'm definitely, not, he definitely too big to admit that I'd never heard of he him. He definitely does not check the guy you've heard of. Box. No, no, he no. really doesn't. But like six foot four Russian Dan Milstein client, Great scoring profile in the AHL. One of the most bizarre apps to pro hockey that you'll ever see. Like this guy, I'm like, all right, I am interested. I want to see this happen. I make no, I make no guarantees of how it's going to work out, but I need to see this happen now when he hits waivers. Yeah. And and I guess if, I mean, the fact that he's still in camp with Vegas, they don't have a lot of spots on that blue line, but there's a few guys that, I mean, Talk about an embarrassment of riches, eh? Like, there's multiple guys that teams around the league are eyeing on Vegas, and they already have the best blue line in hockey. Um, and then Grant Hutton's just, like, a, a long-standing favorite of mine uh, just because he's big, smart, right-handed, and can legitimately defend. And turns out I really like those guys, Jamie. I'm not going to apologize for you. Mm. Yeah. Those, I are, mean, those I, are guys I tend to like. The Grant Hutton one, I... Uh, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to pretend to have scouted Grant Hutton. I would have concerns about, as you were talking about, like the baseline level of of puck skills to play yeah, with I, Quinn Hughes. I think he's got it. I think he's smart enough, self-aware enough. Uh, he's got two years left on a one-way deal. So the Islanders have literally signed him to a contract designed to safely cut him. Like, but yeah, I just, Lou Lamorello's eye for depth defensive defenseman is like the one part of Lamorello's like that that's something I trust <laughs> um a lot and look I mean I, I understand that the salary stuff and the you know one way versus two way and years left on the deal that uh, that all plays a a big role in waiver wire claims but I would like to like if, if you're if you're at this point in the season and you need an option I, I don't think that should stop the Canucks from no 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 an option like, well, especially on. especially they just lost a one-way contract yeah they just lost one um, and then, and then also, there's guys that could clear, and then you make the trade because they're already down in the American League. Like, there's a lot of moving parts here. Uh, I think if you're trying to upgrade on McWard, the trade market's going to be a far better bet for you, just because none of these guys really fit the bill. To be totally honest with you, um, you know, one other note that I brought up was like the Cole McWard thing. Like, I, I'm not trying to be mean about it. Like, I'm really impressed that he's taken this shot and run with it to this point. Mm-hmm. I think he deserves full kudos. Um, I, you know, a great find for the organization given, you know, the, the, the limited investment, which is basically just a contract slot uh, and the fact that they aggressively pulled him out well before most of the industry thought he was ready. And now he's on the verge of making a team. I mean, that's fantastic work. Uh, credit to him, credit to the org. And yet I just don't see, like, I don't understand how we're here. Yeah. I just don't, I truly Jamie, like I thought Akito Hirose was materially better than him. In Penticton, I thought Jet Wu was materially better than him in Victoria. I think he was the best 
of the guys who played in Calgary on the back end. But like short of that, you know, he's played two preseason games now with Hughes and taken how many minor penalties? Four? Four, I believe, yeah. You know, I, I just I, I like I I'm waiting to see something dynamic from him, and I haven't. I, I like I just I'm hopeful that over time I'll I'll begin to get it, but I just don't get it. I'm fascinated. Let's say he does stick in the lineup and even, you know, on paper as Hughes partner taking line rushes with him into, you know, the first week of the season. I'm going to be fascinated to see, like, what does his minutes count look like? Mm. What's his time on ice? Because I think that could be a big tell for how much of this is about McWard and what he's done to impress the organization and the coaching staff and how much of this is about a lack of other options, right? Like, and right now I think it says a lot more about a lack of other options, not to take anything away from McWard, but this doesn't have the feel like we've all seen this before, right? Where a young player comes in kind of unexpectedly and like blows the doors off a training camp, right? We have, we have, but I haven't seen him pop. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's what I mean. We've all seen that, and we know what it looks like, and this doesn't look like that. No, it doesn't. You know what I mean? That So that's why I'm saying I think it says a lot more about the lack of other options as opposed to a guy coming in and just grabbing a spot and not letting it go. And, you know, if we get into game one, game two, and he's playing, like, 12 minutes in those games, like, I think that's going to tell us a lot about what the, what the actual score is well, here. And that's what we're going to get to. We had a text in the inbox during the first segment that was talking about, like, you know, this organization's done a really good job to have Tyler Myers as the fifth or sixth defenseman, and it's like, that's not what's happening, right? Like, part of why I've sort of atrophied in my confidence level about the Canucks' defense is Tyler Myers is still a top-four defenseman for this team. Like, they haven't found a way to slot him better. Mm. He's going to play top-four minutes for this team, at least. At least. So... You know, I, um, yeah, it, well, look, clearly, clearly for all the work that's been done, there's still a need on this blue line. Yeah. And uh, one, somebody texted in a name here. We have a couple people texting in about uh, trade options, but one person texted in specifically uh, a guy we, I don't think we've really talked about since he cleared waivers. Uh, somebody asking, does Jack Rathbone have any value now that he's cleared waivers? And there is, it, it, well, there is also that, on one way. Yeah, that's what's like, it's not just that Jack Rathbone, it's not just that Jack Rathbone hasn't proven that he can be an NHL guy. It's also that Jack Rathbone costs like 850 plus K uh, to be a guy in the American League. I I still, by the way, like Jack Rathbone, like I still think Jack Rathbone had some significant injuries. He's had the COVID stuff that really prevented him from getting the sort of professional reps you'd Mm -hmm. like. Um, You know, I hope that he can... I hope that he can um, figure it out. So, but but at that price point, no one's going to be willing to like. It's not a it's not a low cost lottery ticket. Yeah, right. Then that's the problem. So maybe you could trade him for like a Lane Peterson type because Lane Peterson was in this situation a year ago where he had a one way deal, and the Carolina Hurricanes were like, "This guy was our worst guy at camp. Like, we'd love to just get off the money." So, you know, that, I mean, that, that's sort of the option for, for Jack Rathbone in the organization would be like another expensive American League guy. I also just want to issue a quick correction. You don't lose waiver priority. Yeah, that was my fault. Sorry. Somebody texted yeah. in about that. And I was like, even as I was saying it, I was like, wait a second. Am I right about I'm, this? I, I, I know. I went, <laughs> and like, and like, 
I was like, no, I'm pretty sure that's wrong, but I wasn't certain, so I checked. I made sure to like actually check it. You de- you definitely do not. My greatest talent is just being like, I, I'm not 100% sure about what I'm saying, but I'm just going to keep saying it here. I'm going to act like I know what I'm saying. Uh, that's what law school teaches you, by the way. <laughs> just, just pretend like you know what you're talking that's about. That's what sports media teaches you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's why it was an easy transition for me. Uh, okay, we will take one final break here. Uh, yeah, we started an hour early, so we're off the air at 1 o'clock. We'll see if we get any Rick talking audio in uh, before the end of the show. You can keep hitting us up with your questions as well. Your thoughts about the Canucks as the regular season inches closer. Final segment coming up here. Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here. Uh, yeah, we're ending an hour early because the Blue Jays are playing in the wildcard series against the Twins. Uh, so we'll go right into pregame here. First pitch, I think, is 138, something like that, uh, Pacific time. So you will be able to hear the whole series here uh, on Sportsnet 650. And heaven forbid if this awful... <laughs> unlikable Jays team advances past this round. Uh, we'll play those games as well. Um, and I say that as a Jays fan, by the way. So, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, it hasn't been fun this year. Uh, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintex studio. Um, I did want to read this text uh, that came in earlier because uh, just two two people, uh, it includes two people that I'd never thought to put together in the same thought, but Mandeep and Surrey text in, loving Rick Tockett's hard-nosed, no-BS style, exactly what we need for this team. Imagine he was here to keep big country in check. Oh, what could have been? Which big, uh, which big country does he mean? Uh, well, I'm assuming Brian Reeves. That's okay. big country. Who, who's the other one? Number, numbers, the, uh, the old number um, 18. Jake, did people call him that? Yeah, I've completely blanked that from my mind. Maybe, maybe that is who he's referring to. I'm, I assumed it was Bryant Reeves. Yeah, and I was like, wow, how, how would, embarrassing for you? I, I would never. Have, <laughs> I've never. I confess that I'd never considered what Rick Tockett could have done with Big Country Bryant Reeves. But maybe <laughs> that thought had never crossed my mind. But now I'm fascinated by it. Uh, no one could have done anything else for Big Country. Do so you think Big? I mean, I think I could could uh, could Rick Tocket have turned him into a wall guy, an inside guy? I don't know. Oh, no. there are no walls. There are no walls in basketball. An inside guy. He was. He more, was he an was, inside. Now he was. He liked the mid range more. He needed to be more of an inside guy. Yeah. Didn't he? Didn't have the heart to go. It is uh, super to go into the paint. Sorry, big country. He didn't have the stomach for it. He didn't have the stomach for it. No. Uh, anyways, I, I really enjoyed uh, that text from Mandeep. Uh, Six fifty. Even if you may have misunderstood, I totally may have completely misunderstood it. But I just always have the Grizzlies on uh, on the brain. Obviously, uh, six fifty. Six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. If you want to throw any two like random Vancouver sports figures together in a text. Uh, hit us up. Always enjoy that. And uh, what would Rick Tockett have been able to do with Vladimir Krutov? <laughs> How do you think Bruce Boudreaux and Damon Allen would have gotten along? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty well, I bet. Um, as we wait for, uh, as we wait for audio from Rick Tockett to come in post-practice 
at UBC today. You know, I did also want to bring up that uh, th- that text from Mandeep just talking about Rick Tockett's approach to the team. And, you know, we've seen the kind of the, the, the as you've been calling them, like consequences days, right? And the, the consequences for players either underperforming or overperforming have been very evident right away for Rick Tockett. And, you know, I think we're getting a better sense of how he goes about managing a team, his approach to, you know, certainly obviously training camp and preseason. But I am still curious, like we talked a little bit about this when we were, you know, people were getting worried about the low event style of hockey uh, in the preseason. I think it's way too early to be (laughs) concerned about that. I mean, you know, you're right. But just saying it sounds so silly. Yeah. In the, in the preseason, but people were concerned about it. Well, I mean, I think there's valid reasons to be concerned about it. Just not because of what we've seen in the preseason. Does that make sense? Like, the reasons to yes. be concerned about it are that Rick Tockett's Arizona Coyotes played shell hockey yeah. and that the Canucks were only 20th in five-on-five goal scoring last year playing some of the most unstructured run-and-gun hockey I've ever seen. So those are valid reasons to be concerned about it. But I think overall, like, one of my big questions, and it's not a question in the sense of, you know, a question of, like, I don't think this part of the team is going to be good, but just something I'm genuinely curious about and unsure about is, like what style of play are we going to see from this team now that Rick Tockett has had a longer runway to really put his stamp on it? And I guess the 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 other question that that goes along with that, and this is more of a concern, is does Rick Tockett have the pieces, the personnel? to play the way he wants to play, right? To play how he thinks hockey should be played. And this gets back to something we were talking about earlier in the show. Like I see a coaching staff right now that's looking for answers. And to me, that suggests that Rick Tockett might want to play one way, but he might have to be making some compromises with this team because I'm not sure he's he's going to have the pieces to pull it to execute the way he wants it to. I think you're right. And I think you're right about looking for answers. Um, mixed and matched defense pairs, like, you know, it's one thing to experiment in the preseason. And it's one thing to be realistic about the fact that yes, injuries happen and, and you don't get to play three pairs every game that are, un- that are settled and unchanged throughout an 82 game season. But man, I mean, the idea of making that part of like the identity of the team, like no, no one thinks that that makes sense. You know, yeah. In an ideal world, it's hard to see that being the go-to. No, no one it's, thinks that makes like sense. it's pretty clearly a plan B. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I wonder how much, like, how many plan Bs are we going to see? Like, okay, that's one, but you know, it, it, like, well, and I think you've identified an interesting source of tension. To be totally honest with you, right? Like, I'm really curious to know. And and I think we're seeing the lines we're seeing in part because that's what we're going to see in Abbotsford. Right. So, you know, while I think it's fair to use it as a proxy for where the race is, like, I don't know that Beauvillier is necessarily ahead of Niels Hoaglander on that top line spot so much as I think Dakota Joshua is ahead of Beauvillier for that third line spot mm. based on what Tockett saw in Seattle and his commentary thereafter. I, I think he thinks that line's too small to work together. Yeah. With, with Garland and Suter and Beauvillier. Um, Phil DiGiuseppe is on that second line because he plays the way Rick Tockett wants, not because he's necessarily like the highest upside fit in that spot. So 
I do think the tension between how Rick Tockett wants to play and the personnel that he's got is already manifesting itself in terms of the decisions we're seeing. And I suspect the final decisions that we'll see after the club plays on Wednesday and Friday here. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, um, you know, it's kind of, we're, like, it, it feels similar to where we've been in past seasons. And especially, you know, like with Boudreau, where the debate was like systems or personnel, right? That was a raging debate going in, uh, you know, really for most of the Bruce Boudreaux tenure about, okay, is it because Bruce Boudreaux is not instilling the systems right? Or does the team lack the personnel uh, to play the way that management wants them to play? And I, I, I've got a, I've got a secret for you. Ready? It's both. Yeah. But I feel like we're just like, remember, remember Travis Green's terrible system that had them all dumping and chasing, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just like this team can defend or score based on how they've been constructed in the past. They couldn't do both. They just didn't have the defensive personnel to move the puck well enough. The question for me this year is, have they addressed that? Because Rick Tocchi can only do so much. At some point, yep. if this team, having added Heronic Susie Cole, still can't move the puck well enough, they're going to have to make a decision. Be, be 25th in goal scoring, 5-on-5, five five, but have a chance to be average defensively, or have a chance to be average offensively, and, and, you know, and and look probably pretty bad. Take and, a lot and, of risks and in rely terms of on how Thatcher you, Demko. Yeah, and the like. Ma- Green Green made his choice and then thought that he could defend, and the team's offense fell off. Now, was part of that Pedersen's yeah um, becoming a shell of himself for sure, but it was more than that too, right? Uh, Bruce Boudreau likewise. Bruce Boudreau came in and he was like, oh, well, if we just crank up our forecheck, we don't need our defense to hit our forwards in stride. And he was right so long as he installed that over Green's defensive structure. But once he had to install the structure himself, mm. it, it fell apart. Tockett came in and was able to add some defensive heft to that. But can he figure out a way to do both this season at five on five with the personnel he has? Is the defense upgraded enough to accomplish that? Are the forwards tough enough? Is there enough grit, enough dog up front for that? Uh, That's the big question. That's what we don't know. And I do wonder, you know, like, is there, not that they've been wildly successful. If we are blaming the coach in November, though, I'm going to lose my mind. Okay, so we were just sitting here, you know, questioning the defensive pairings, mixing and matching them and and all that. I want to go on record. Like, I really like what I've seen from Rick Tockett as head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. And I like a lot of the messaging he has. I think we've seen like a direct way of dealing with players, an honest upfront way of dealing with the media and talking about his team, like a lot like very candid, very honest, very direct. I think all of that is very much to his credit. Like I would be absolutely stunned, stunned if this season goes off the rails and it's Rick Tockett's fault. Not that it couldn't happen. Like a coach can always make wrong decisions and that, that, but like based on what we've seen so far from Rick Tockett, like I think he's doing a really admirable job of trying to get the best out of this team. I'll go even further back when the season went off the rails two years ago, it wasn't on green when it went off the rails last year, it wasn't on Boudreaux. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to be on Rick Tockett this year. If it happens, happens, right. Which is obviously far from, uh, far from a guarantee, but like this, none of this is to criticize Rick Tockett. I think, inherent with this team and what we're seeing, right? Like we saw, as you said, Travis Green had to make some really difficult decisions. Bruce Boudreaux had to make some really difficult decisions. I think we're already seeing Rick Tockett go through that process of having to make some really difficult decisions about how to structure this team, how the the best way to get them to play. Yeah, and my bias here is always that, like, 
coaches work hard and and mostly are very good at assessing players. Um, that their impact is largely overrated by fans, although last season also by the team itself. And you know that for the most part, when they're criticized, we're we're off <laughs> for the most part. Not always, but most mostly, I, I think. Well, I think a lot of times what we like we and this is a I think a fair criticism that's often lobbed, not so much at media, but just in general, like we we don't we typically this is a Jim betting line, which is why I'm laughing, but we typically don't have all the information that goes into coaching decisions, right? And like sometimes things that coaches do that seem outlandish from the outside, there's like actually very logical reasons that will not be made public for whatever reason, right? But they're, they're, I think coaches are often much more restrained than we realize, right? Like, if you actually knew what was going into decision, the decisions, it would make a lot more sense than what we see from the outside. Yeah, uh, I think that's true, for sure. Yeah, uh, it, Look, it's it's complicated. I just don't think the public's very good at evaluating coaching necessarily. Um, I've, I've long had that fade, and, and I, I feel it served me well, but maybe it hasn't. You know, I would certainly remain higher on green than the industry, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but last yeah. summer, last summer, my fade position on Boudreaux was sensible. So who knows? We'll um, six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar lumber text line and, uh, Brandon in Vancouver, uh, saying he would try to be decent off- defensively average offensively. But I mean, I guess that's the question, right? Is can they do both at the same time? And he says, hope our high end and Demko can get us by. And it does kind of feel like you're either really going to emphasize the structural side of things, the defensive side of things, and hope that the game-breaking talent of Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, and maybe you throw Kuzmenko and Miller in there can kind of juice enough offense out of nothing to survive, or you're going to loosen the reins a little bit, let the team play uh, a more high-octane style, and hope that Thatcher Demko can clean up a lot of what uh, of what you give up on the back end. And I think just... Because of Thatcher Demko's health and because of the inherent variability of goaltending, like the latter bet makes me much more nervous than the former bet. You know what I mean? Like I would rather I can understand looking at this and saying, okay, maybe it's not an ideal fit for the roster, but we're going to play really defensively and we're going to hope Elias Pettersson can help us eke out enough goals to win rather than we're going to ask a tremendous, we're going to put a tremendous burden on Thatcher Demko, right? Like that's just... Boy, that's a tough way. That is a tough, tough way to win over 82 games in the NHL. Yeah, well, and especially in a division where the other teams are going to be able to control games, right? Now, that said, one thing I keep talking about with the Pacific, like, there are questions in net for every other team. And while I think you like Demko the best of any goalie, like, well, I think it's reasonable and, in fact, correct to say that Vancouver has the most reliable high upside bet in net in the Pacific. In the Pacific. I don't I don't even think it's close. Like yeah, after Markstrom's year last year and his age, I think that's fair. No, I don't even think it's close. I think it has to be Demko. Everyone would say Demko, everyone should say Demko. He's clearly the best goalie or the most likely to be the best goalie of the Pacific. But don't underrate the question marks in net because they're goalies. Right? They're they're just goalies. So you have to accept how limited your knowledge is, right? Demko's performance last year left a lot to be desired, and then he got hurt. And variability impacts so much of goaltending performance that even, like, Vancouver's one ace in the hole is in the spot of the roster where having an ace matters least because it's the least reliable. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it's the other thing, like, 
Obviously, it could matter most, but let's way. say, least let's say, you know, if you bet on, okay, we're going to structure everything to be really good defensively and hope that our high end offensive talent can do enough. Like you still can reap the benefit of having a good goalie, maybe not to the same extent, but you know what I mean? You, you put a good goalie behind a sound defensive structure and it's not like it's wasted. You can, it, it can, it can still help improve uh, your goals against total. So I think ultimately I, I get the, the impetus and the desire to build this structure in front of Demko, but it's a, it, there's no denying, I think, that Rick Toggin has some tough uh, decisions to make when he's trying to get this team to play a certain way. Uh, speaking of Rick Tockett, let's hear from the coach speaking to the media after the team practice at UBC today. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of five-on-five drills. Actually, more yesterday, so you want to get a lot of those five-on-five drills to see what he can do. But it's not just him, it's other guys, too. Um, you know, extending five-on-five play and, and seeing guys make decisions under pressure. Ian Cole talked to us when we were talking about, you know, defense by committee about situational awareness for defensemen and how you'll have certain guys out there when you're trailing, certain guys out there when you're leading, you know, if you're looking for one-timers, things like that. How important is it for the modern NHL defenseman to understand and be able to adapt to that within game? Yeah, it's big. I mean, game management is huge um, to win. So when you have got players that can be interchangeable parts, understand the score, understand what's ahead of you. Um, but you still, the philosophy is still there. We want to play fast. I mean, we still got to get guys to play faster um, and, and, you know, play connected as five. But when you can interchange some guys, you know, so this guy, hey, he, he can take a draw with somebody, um, you know, three minutes of the uh, last part of a period, maybe you switch guys. I think with the, where the makeup, I think that's something that we really want to try to build here. And, um, it's a lot easier when guys are puzzle guys, you know. That's really what it comes down to for us. Rick, you probably heard a lot about Hoaglander when you took over the bench, what he was doing in Abbotsford. What have you seen in this game? And you think of him, you think fast, feisty. Uh, what have you seen, and are, has he met your expectations so far? I liked his game better last game. I thought he kept some plays alive. That's what he's good at, the forecheck. And I, I, that's something, you know, we need that here, and I think he's supplied. Now it's the next level, you know, making a play, extending the play. You know, can he get open, you know, score? You know, can he extend the play? You know, he has it. You know, can he keep his feet moving, make the play? That's really the next level for him. But when it comes to forechecking, being feisty, he checks the box for that. You maybe want, you know, balance in your pairings, Rick, but also in your lines. I mean, your fourth line can be as important as your first line. You had Hoglander with Bluger and Amon today. Is, is that... Do you know where you were going to slot Hoglander? Well, the PD wasn't in today, so Studsy just played center sure. for us. But just, I, I kind of like that line's a bit of a little bit of identity. See how they're, you know, they've uh, done a nice job on it as a checking role. You know, I think Teddy Bluger's had a couple of really good, intelligent hockey games. I think he was really good in the PK. And I think we get Oms stronger on the puck and his speed. And then uh, I think Studs has done a nice job getting him a little stronger. That could be a really good line. So that was just situational because Petey was out. More, the, more, the, same for, more the same for Petey? And yeah, a, yeah. He got, his ability or availability for tomorrow night? Or? Yeah, I, I don't, you know, because, uh, yeah, I'm not going to play him tomorrow. It wouldn't be fair, you know, him to, because we're not going to have a morning skate. So, yeah, he'll uh, hopefully feels better. We can, he'll have a sweat with a, some of the four guys that are playing. What about, five uh, games. What about Mikheyev? Uh, when do you think he'll be able to do contact and maybe do a bit more? Yeah, he's he's in the pushing and uh, pushing mode. He wants more now, uh, so we'll just ramp it up. Um, so yeah, he's tracking in the right direction. Uh, like I said, 
you know, the opener, I'm not sure about. Um, but uh, to me, it's, we're going day by day with him, with the pushing and shoving. He's got to get a little bit more, you know, when there's a lot of people around where he's got to change directions, you know, get hit and stuff like that. That's the next process for him. When, uh, as far as the defense by committee, you know, guys like Cole, uh, Myers, they've played so much. They're used to, you know, different things being thrown at them. Do you think it's that concept of that idea might be a lot harder for younger guys like McGord or Brisbois hasn't played a lot in the NHL, Jilson hasn't played a lot in the NHL? Is it is it more challenging for the younger guys to do that? Yeah, it could be. It could be, but I think it's important. Uh, you know, guys like Footy and, and Gotch, uh, they, they spend a lot of time with them to calm them down. But... Um, you know, Briz playing, you know, the, when he played, like, fifth, I forget what he played on I mean, last year. I think that was invaluable for us that he might be able to play the right side sometimes for us, and he's an intelligent guy. Um, you know, I think McWard's got a, a really good hockey IQ. You know, uh, Will Annan's played some NHL games, so they have, you know, it's the hockey IQ to be interchangeable um, for us. So that's why we're trying to increase those guys where if you need a Will Annan, if we need him, can play an offensive role if somebody goes down. That's uh, the interchangeable parts we're talking about. Uh, management made the big trade for Aronic last year. A lot of us thought, well, finally, this is you know going to be Quinn Hughes' partner for the next yeah. X years. Yeah. Did you think that, or did anything change in your mind between, say, when you first got Aronic to this year because you played them together so little? Well, it's about you know how do you push your push your chips in, right? Um, you know, do you want to go all in with Heronic and Hughes? I think if we spread out just a touch, you know, if you look at all the, you know, most of the great defensemen, like Hughes is part of it, you know, they're partners, you know, they're different partners. You know, it's not like, you know, other than McCarr's got, I think McCarr's got Taves, I and mean, that's a, that's a hell of a, you know, duo. So a guy like Huggy can make his partner look pretty damn good, right? So, uh, but like we played Edmonton, you saw Heronic with, with Hughes a bunch of times. We'll get him out there. Um, I'm not quite the way we're built right now is have those two guys together. I think it's important that we spread it around a little bit, but that doesn't mean they can't play together, you know, especially if you're especially if you're down. Even if you're up 4-2, to two, you know, we, we don't have the mentality like the back up, let's make it 5-2 to two and, and put the game away. We have to have that mentality too. You can't just like, alright, let's dump the puck out and try to protect the lead. I think we have to have the attitude hey, we still got to play the same way and try to make it 5-2. to two. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after the team practiced at UBC today. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to react here, but sharing some thoughts on the bottom six, calling the uh, potential Bluger Oman Stadnika a bit of an identity line for the team. Uh, I still have questions about where that could leave Niels Hoaglander when the regular season rolls around, but we've got more preseason games to figure that out. And yeah, not still sticking to the uh, the flexible D pairings, guys. They have the hockey IQ. They they believe in their ability to pull it off, even the young players. We will be back again 11 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, I assume that the early schedule is not. We're still doing the crossover, right, with uh, with Donnie and Dolly? Yeah, so make sure you tune in for that, the second edition of the crossover with Donnie and Dolly. Uh, enjoy the Jays game. We're back tomorrow. It is Sportsnet 650.